Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. Raise your hand if you don't smoke a pipe and only listen to this show because the host is so sexy. No one? Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, and always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. I am your host, Brian Levine. Hey, it's Thursday night, and uh, we're, yep, two days delayed because uh, Kevin's back from his uh, vacation and uh, sitting in the middle of the jungle watching a volcano erupt. I'm glad he's back, and we are on live on Thursday night. On uh, tonight's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show and Pipe Parts, uh, another tobacco experiment that includes a coffee grinder. My guest tonight is Russ Cook, pipe maker. And we've got music, mailbag, and rant, all that coming up in tonight's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. But first, let me say uh, happy summer and happy Father's Day to all. And with the kickoff of summer, here is our... Uh, in, in past couple of summers, we've done some uh, summer series. One year we did Young People. The other uh, the other year we did uh, Tobacconist, and I'm not sure what else we've done. But here's my uh, summer series for you all this summer, and it involves you all, the listeners. Uh, here's what I'd like to do. I uh, have about three of you co-host the show with me. Yep, that's right. Co-host the show with me. You, the listeners... Send me a email at brian at pipesmagazine.com or perhaps the best way to reach out to me would be through uh, Facebook uh, you can or the Pipes Magazine radio show page on Facebook or you can send me a private message on uh, Pipes Magazine. Either way, reach out to me. Here's what I want you to do. Well, uh, you'll pick the pipe parts, so tell me what pipe parts segment, what you want to talk about in pipe parts, and then the guest segment will be me talking to you, and uh, you talking to me, and questions for me, whatever it is. So, three of you, it'll be the uh, the special guest, guest uh, summer series, special guest guest summer series, and it involves all of you, the listeners that have been with us for... Uh, Uh, Coming up on uh, five years this September. So there you go. Summer series. Start sending in your cards and letters. Uh, I will warn you if you do it to brian at pipesmagazine.com. I'm getting hammered for some reason over the last two weeks with a bunch of junk mail. So if you don't get a response from me right away, send it again. All right. Let's get the show rolling. Everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in. And here we go. All right, for pipe parts, I think I've talked about this before, but I don't think I've done it as in-depth as I did over this past week. Um, I have a coffee grinder. Pretty good-sized coffee grinder. Holds a 50-gram tin of tobacco inside the grinder. I bought it at the Salvation Army slash Goodwill. I think I paid a total of $3 for it and brought it home, washed it out really good, rinsed it out really good, let it dry out, tested to see if I didn't break it at that point. Um, I've done, I've had a coffee grinder for tobacco for a long time now. Um, this newest one I just got about six, eight months ago cause I killed the other one. So that's why I go to Salvation Army and buy them because in the cleaning out process of it and in the use of it with tobacco, you're going to kill it. So there's really no sense in buying a brand new one. Um, I use the coffee grinder for my flake tobaccos. The The process that I go through is I open up the tin or open up the, the package of the flake tobaccos. I let them dry down to the point where they're just about crispy. I don't want, I don't want all the moisture out of them, but I want most of the moisture gone. And again, I like my tobaccos on the dry side anyway, so that's what I do. Uh, then with the flake tobaccos, I take the flakes... And I put the entire thing in there and I just do slow little pulses of start and stop, start and stop, shake it up, start and stop, shake it up, start and stop with the, uh, with the coffee grinder. And it gets my flakes all broken up. 
Now, here's where the experiment came in, because I took my usual favorite, which is a ribbon cut, and has some long ribbons and then some small chunks and some stuff in there. And normally what I do is I open up the can of tobacco and I go through and by hand and I, you know, I dump it out, let it dry down a little bit. And then I get the, uh, I break up the big, the little chunks and I pull out the stems and then I put it all back in the can. Well, this time I opened up two cans at the same time. I opened up one can, did my normal process to it, and then I opened up the other can and dried it down. But then I put it in the food in the uh, food food processor. My wife would kill me if I put it in her food processor. Um, I put it in the coffee grinder, and I just did light pulses again, just trying to break it up and got it even smaller. Uh, smoked both versions side by side, both versions. So I wanted to see exactly what it would do. And then, to get a more uh, uh, an even comparison, I took the same pipe and I smoked one version and then the other version to see if I could detect a difference. Now, of course, because of the lower moisture in my tobaccos, I get more oomph out of them or more intensity out of them. But the lower moisture, I find, uh, leaves it doesn't give me as much tongue bite. And makes them easier to smoke all the way through the bowl. Uh, what I did notice in particular was with the with the tin of my regular favorite ribbon cut that I had run through the coffee grinder, the smaller bits meant I had to be a little more careful with packing it because you can pack too tight. Uh, so the ribbons and the, the longer pieces are a little more forgiving when it comes to uh, when it comes to packing them and getting a plug spot in the bowl. But I did notice that I was getting a lot more tobacco in the bowl because there was less space in there. And when I, when I got the bowl going, it was more intense, more flavorful. And it did have a tendency to, if I got it puffed on too much, it had a tendency to... Uh, get the bowl pretty hot so I had to back off of it so that first those first couple of bowls I packed them that way the uh, then I went back to it and I said well wait a second if I'm you know I got to be careful about packing it too tight so I packed it looser than I thought and you know looser than I did the previous time and let me tell you uh, the flavors were there I didn't get the bowls quite as hot and again I did this a couple of times just to see if I was doing it right uh, but I did notice that it burned a little faster than the flake cut. And obviously, if I broke up all the chunks in it, those chunks burned a little faster. So uh, you had to be a little careful. So here's my suggestion to you. If you've got a blend that you like, but it just doesn't have a, enough oomph for you, or you want a little more oomph out of it, instead of adding tobacco to it, go out, get yourself a $3 uh yeah, used coffee grinder, do exactly what I did, and just pulse it in there. I mean, just pulse, shake it, pulse, shake it, and you'll see when it gets to little tiny bits all through there, or smaller bits all through there, that's when you're probably going to get more oomph out of that blend. So another way to uh, modify the blends that you're smoking and enjoying, or if you're like me, the coffee grinder is a way to enjoy flake tobaccos because I really don't like having to stand there and rub out the flakes and go back and rub it out again and go through all that baloney. I prefer the uh, tobacco manufacturer just break up the flake for me. Anyway, uh, your thoughts, your ideas, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com or post them on the Pipes Magazine radio show page on pipesmagazine.com. And in just a minute, Russ Cook will be on the phone with me. This is Internet Radio. I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. Since 1990, Cornell & Deal has been producing high-quality pipe tobacco, expertly blended by hand using time-honored methods, unique recipes, and no small amount of innovation. One example of such innovation is our bestseller, Autumn Evening, we start with whole leaf red Virginia and strip the stems by hand. The tobacco is then cut into ribbons and cooked for two days according to our unique recipe to create our special red Virginia Cavendish. 
Then we infuse the tobacco while it's still hot with our secret flavoring to achieve the sublime sweetness, deep flavor, and delightful aroma that makes autumn evenings so well-loved by our loyal customers and everyone around them as they enjoy this very special blend. Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. It's a labor of love. Contact your local or online retailer for information. Welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show and joining us on the phone from Michigan, the uh, the only state that looks like a hand or a mitten. Uh, I, guess your th- I guess the thumb of Michigan would be kind of dislocated and up on top. Um, but... Uh, Joining us is Russ Cook, and Russ, you've been um, making pipes for a while and uh, pipe smoking for a while, so I'm looking forward to talking to you, but uh, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. So let's go back, because you're coming up on almost 20 years of pipe making, if I did my math correctly. Yes, you are. Um, This is my 19th year heading towards the year um i started doing it for this kind of fun club members and our club is went by the wayside for lack of better words and uh, i was in chicago and columbus and that sort of taught me into bigger and better things for pipes as far as my hand cut stems and thickenal materials and and all the things that make a way better pipe, better pipe for a person. So I really have a fun time doing it. My numbers are not super high, but all the reports I get from people that buy my pipes have been very well over the last. Oh, I think 2003 is when I really started coming into the hand-cut stems and and really nicer pipe. So, did you were are you uh, born and raised in Michigan? Yes, I am. I actually live about eight miles from the hospital I was born in, and <laughs> it probably Oh, 20 miles from the hospital I was born in right here in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. Uh, yeah, I bounced around a bit over the years as a kid growing up and different things. But as we speak, I'm situated about probably seven and a half or eight miles from where I was actually born. So it's kind of cool and unique, and I really enjoy where I live. What did you, uh, when, when you were growing up, what did you want to be when you when you grew up? Uh, I guess there was no... Actually, I sort of wanted to be a truck driver because my dad's always been a truck driver since I was born, I suppose. Uh, (laughs) But it was just... It's a hard life driving that truck. And I just never ventured into it and bounced around from different things. And I actually work at a factory that makes restaurant equipment and... It's sort of weird to me, but I started 28 years last Monday on the 5th of June. So, uh, wow. Yeah, I guess I'm a lifer there, I guess, for better <laughs> words. Uh, yeah, I don't seem to go in too many other places at my age and with my seniority at my place that I work at. Um, it's not a bad place. Uh, could be better on some aspects, like every job, but um, overall, it's given me a pretty darn good life throughout my whole career there, I suppose. Um, I guess if I didn't like it that bad, I probably wouldn't have been there for 28 years. So <laughs> uh, It's easy, and it's fairly clean, and I enjoy building things just like my pipes and um in my real job at work, I uh, get a pile of parts and a blueprint and put it together, sort of like a pipe. You get a block of wood and a piece of rod and whatever <laughs> adornments you want to put onto it, and you just put it together. So it it sort of fits my motif, I suppose. So I guess I'm all good with it. 
and you are literally right in the center of Michigan, so I mean, where where you grew up is just easy access to all parts of all parts of Michigan. Oh, almost anything you want to do is within like a three-hour drive in Michigan for from where I'm at until you get to the UP. Um, that's a little bit more of a jaunt, but in the mitten itself. I'm probably three hours from anything you could possibly do in Michigan. And the list is endless of the stuff you can do in Michigan. And people don't realize, and myself included, don't realize the things that I uh, haven't seen and need to see where other people are just amazed that I haven't been there yet. It's just, there's so much stuff in Michigan. Just, I think got a lot to do with the different seasons and the different sports and just the different things that are surrounded in Michigan and um, it's a pretty cool state I I don't know that I'd want to live anyplace else of course I haven't lived anyplace else so uh, it's hard to say I don't want to live here because I never have but uh, I'm not a real big heat person. I don't mind a little bit of cold and weather that Michigan has, but I don't think I'd want to live in Canada where they got six months of winter. But yeah, <laughs> I, I'm good with what I got right now, anyways. When did you get started smoking a pipe? Mm, it would have been somewhere in the 97, 98, 1997, 1998 era. Uh, I was trying to get off of cigarettes, so I uh, went to our local tobacco shop, which is way different now, but back then it was a pretty pretty all-around good shop. Uh, so I started smoking cigars, and it's like, oh, they were hitting my wallet pretty darn hard. And <laughs> yeah. Oh, the buddy I met down there, I don't know. There's probably a few people in the pipe world that remember Dave Ziosis. Um, He was down there working, and between him and a couple of other workers, they convinced me to buy corn cob pipe, which I still enjoy them once in a while, not as an everyday smoker, but they have their place. And uh, one thing led to another, and then... Mr. Ziosis there, he had some pipe kits, and I come from quite a crafty family. Almost everybody in my family does some sort of a craft or a hobby, and I looked at the kits and bought one, and I had quite a few tools in my little shed at the time. Now I've got a shop, but uh, it just, like, I don't know, once I bought one and started looking at the green and figuring things out a little bit, it was like, it just comes so easy to me. It's unbelievable, I suppose. Um, I'm not the greatest person for thinking outside of the box when it comes to building pipes. I'm pretty much a traditional kind of maker, but you get some of that weird stuff and it's like, ooh, I, I, I don't seem to be very good at seeing it and making it, but traditional pipes, I feel I'm very, very well at constructing a very nice one for most people. And then on the occasion, I get that really odd one or something weird that fits so, some of the younger generation's eyes, I suppose. But um, it's just really fun for me to make pipes. I don't get to make them as much as I want with the full-time job, but... Yeah, I. Uh, it's just really fun and relaxing for me to get out of my shop and work on pipes. Just to make somebody else happy when they see a pipe and, oh, I got to have that one and buy it. It's like, that really makes me feel good. So the, the pipe making itself came pretty quickly after you started smoking a pipe. Oh, very, very quickly. Um Almost instantly, because like I say, at that time, I think I think I was whittling, carving figurines and stuff like that, and I had a lot of tools that would 
fit the pipe making motif, but not all of them, obviously. At that point in time, I couldn't drill my own blocks and stuff like that. But as far as sanders and shapers and different things, I already had that stuff. So I have really upgraded my stuff since then um, with the... the metal lathe and the end mill and nicer, better shapers and, and things like that, which I'm not really all that great with the shaping wheel. I can't, I've come to figure out on my own. Um, I do a lot of handwork to make corners crisp and, and the likes of that. I don't, I don't want to be a wheel carver because there's, there's some people that that's what they do and that's really fine with me, but, I'm more noted for my fit and my finish, so if it takes me an extra hour to make a nice crisp corner on, say, a billiard, for example, making a nice crisp corner where the bowl meets the shank, I'm cool with it. I'm I'm not in it to make a bunch of money or sell millions of pipes. Uh, I just really enjoy doing it, and what one turns out really nice, uh, it just really makes my day, I suppose. When did you actually start selling your pipes? Um, probably almost instantly since I started making them. Like I stated a little bit earlier in this broadcast, uh, a lot of it was just a club member because we had a really big club at one time. And, you know, it was a kid's pipe for 35 bucks, and And then making a shape and getting it kind of rough and probably not, it wasn't not like nowadays, but, you know, I was selling them for just enough to cover my time and everything and (laughs) molded stems and they were sort of a pain for me just because I didn't have a really good turner and, and then I went to Chicago show. Oh, uh-huh. my goodness. That changes everybody's life, I think, that makes a pipe. Um, and then I think after my first Chicago show, I, I believe it was 2003 when I went to my first Chicago show. And as soon as I came home, I ordered me a metal lathe and started getting tooling around to drill my own blocks really nice. I was drilling them with a drill press before, but once I went to Chicago show and that just opened up my eyes to like, wow. (laughs) And like I say, I bought the new metal lathe and it took me a while to get tooling and figure out how to run it. But I don't know, in 2002, 2003 is when I started doing the hand cut stems and just, it really turned my world around in pipes because then you could make the stem to fit the pipe of what you wanted or the vision you had in your head um, instead of just sort of, for lack of better words, forcing a mold the stem into the pipe that you wanted to make. And uh, since then, it's just I make what I want and it doesn't matter what the stem asks um, I've got the tools to, to do it and can do almost anything that I want to now that I've learned how to use them and the lots of that. That's a perfect place for us to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk more pipes with Russ, and uh, I may pick on uh, Michigan a little bit more. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Meet Josh. Everyone at SmokingPipes.com holds customers as a high priority, but nobody interacts with them more personally than Josh. He's our professor of pipes, if you will. As a previous professor of history, educating the customer comes easily to him. He loves explaining the history of a particular pipe to a customer or coaching his customer service team. I love to help customers find that perfect piece for their collection. It's my job to make sure there's a smile on the other end of the line and I'm more than happy to be the one to put it there. And although Josh's job can sometimes be quite demanding, he doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why? Because I don't just sell pipes, I smoke them. Call us at 1-888-366-0345. 
That's 1-888-366-0345 or check us out online at smokingpipes.com. We are quality. We are experts. We are smokingpipes.com. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with Russ Cook. And uh, I, I will say, Russ, Michigan's one of the great sports uh, states in the country, although you guys very rarely win any national titles. Um, but uh, it, when you're when you're working with a molded stem or a, or a prefab stem, does it kind of remember its original shape and want to go back to that? Well, only pretty much if you leave them set in your car and in the sun, any stem's going to go back to the straightness of the original structure of it. But um, the problem with molding stems is I really couldn't afford a turner to do a really nice one back years ago. And, and then I just, I guess I made the big launch into a metal lathe to where then I was buying a rod to make the hand-cut stems. And um, I guess I never really, other than kit pipes in, in my early days using molded stems, um, I, I never really ventured very deep into the molded stems for whatever reason. I don't know if it was just my tastes and wanting something different or uh, just the fact of the matter of, if you're a pipe maker and using molded stems, you you have to stock a lot of stems. Yeah. I mean, from my perspective, you have to stock a lot of them because you just never know what you're going to make. And um, with with the rod stock, you you can just make whatever you want. So <laughs> I guess I maybe leaped off the cliff. I guess it went from zero to hero. I suppose if you want to say on that end of the spectrum. So. I really haven't made enough molded stem pipes to really have a really good outlook on the difference between a molded stem and, and a hand-cut stem, other than the fact of fitting them to a pipe. I, to be honest with you, I don't even know if I can turn a molded stem right now <laughs> with the tools that I have. I don't think I can. I mean, I do have... a. One of the very, very old, when I first got into it, the old Pebo stem cutter. I have one of those, but it's got so much dust onto it, I don't even know if it works anymore. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I just, for whatever reason, I like the, being able to make the hand-cut stem and just launch straight into that. And I guess, for lack of better words, never look back on mold. I don't even. I don't think I have two molded stems in my shop, to be honest with you. But I've got 400 inches of rod stock for making hand cut stems. So <laughs> I guess that's the direction I decided I was going to go, and I'm pretty content with that. When you went to that first Chicago Pipe Show, was that the first time you'd seen a whole bunch of of other handmade pipes and been around a bunch of other pipe makers? Uh, you know, I, I think just the year before that, I went to Columbus back when it was in, I don't even know the, remember the name of the motel, but it was in the basement there. What a miserable place. Elevator. Oh, <laughs> yeah, and it was smoking down there, and by the time the customers got in there, you couldn't see across the room. <laughs> it was it was a fog. Yeah. Um it was a unique experience, and I think that's what really opened my eyes up to. There is way more than just trying to sell kit pipes for 100 bucks to club members. Uh, and, and after that, you know, then I went to Chicago the following spring, and I just, I don't know if it opened my eyes or I realized that I had more potential than what I was doing with the kit pipes and just whatever block I could find at the time. Um, now I'm into hand-picking my own blocks from... But I don't really 
I, I don't want to say I'm a Mego direct buyer. Uh, I I broaden my spectrum, and I buy some from Mimo, I buy some from Nano, I bought some from Giordano. Um, I, I guess my take on that is they all have pretty much the same stuff as long as you look at it and and get the nice quality grain that you're looking for with the pipe you want to buy, or build, I should say, not buy. But um, if everybody buys from one person, then the other people quit showing up. And I saw that this year at the Chicago show because uh, Giordano didn't show up. And yeah. I think really good luck with their briar. Um, Giordano's dad is Nemo's cousin, so they got to be pretty darn close to the same quality of as far as curing and all that stuff, but they didn't show up, and I'm not sure why, whether it was a customs thing. I don't know why. I haven't heard from any why it didn't go up, but I, I've had pretty good luck with most people's briar I buy, and, you know, if you want the nicer green stuff, you got to hand-pick it yourself. If you just call and place order, it's like calling Home Depot and having to deliver it versus... You go on and pick in your own. Um, you're going to get nicer stuff if you pick your own. Um, so that's, that's what I've been for, oh, goodness. I couldn't tell you how many years I've been only buying at the Chicago show with Briar. Um, <laughs> I don't have a bunch of Briar. I'm sitting on probably, oh, I think I've got around 170 blocks of Briar right now that... I strategically store it and age it for, oh, I don't usually like using it unless I've had it for a couple, three years. Um, I have enough to wear the number of pipes I make. I've got plenty of briar. And it's really nice to be able to have the selection. So when somebody calls and says, hey, I want you to make me this, I can dig through 40 pieces of briar and find the, the right piece for the person and, and make the right pipe for the person. And uh, I, I enjoy digging through the briar and looking for that one specific block that will make the pipe. Because, you know, in the end, when the customer is wanting something specific and all the grain and everything lines up really good and it's balanced very well, they're going to be happy and they're going to come back. And um, I've had really good luck with it. And I think a lot of that boils down to having quite a selection. I mean, yeah, I could have some more, but for the number of pipes I make, uh, I've got quite a bit of briar for right now anyways. I try buying as many blocks of briar at the Chicago show that I sort of figure I'm going to make for a year or so. All right, if I'm going to make, say, 36 pipes a year, i got to buy at least 36 pieces of briar to sort of make my three-year aging thing work out for me. And that's what I've been doing for the, probably the past, oh, gosh, it's got to be 10 years I've been doing it that way. Wow, so the minute you walk into the Chicago Pipe Show, you're you're laying out money before you've even sold anything. Oh, yeah, I don't think I was this year, I think. I was at the Chicago show for less than two hours on Thursday afternoon, and I think I, I think I waddled through about thirteen hundred bucks in two hours just buying stuff. <laughs> um, and that, that yeah, it didn't take me long. <laughs> and that wasn't it. Was, you, you didn't buy a pipe for yourself, did you? You know what? This is probably the first year in a long time I haven't bought a pipe myself in Chicago. I'm usually, for some reason, I, I I usually buy materials at Chicago, and I usually buy pipes at Columbus for whatever reason. I think it's because all the materials are at Chicago, yeah. and I dedicate my cash for materials and supplies to make more pipes. Then when I get to Columbus, Columbus is like a really cool show. It's always been good to me. But I usually have a lot of orders for Columbus. So I usually go into Columbus with, I don't necessarily want to say cash in my pocket, but 
I usually go in there with knowing, all right, I'm going to go in there with X amount of expenses. I got X amount of sales before I get there, so I can buy X amount of pipes when I leave. I think I bought, I think last year I only bought one pipe at Columbus, but I think the year previous to, I think I bought four pipes. Um, I enjoy buying other folks' pipes. It doesn't matter who it is. I mean, obviously, it does matter to a certain degree. You have to like the the product that you're going to buy, um, like the person you're going to buy from. That's just anybody's. That's how everybody buys stuff. If you don't like the guy or the person making it or the way they make stuff, you're not going to buy it. I think the year before, I bought four pipes, if I remember correctly. Um, so I, I spread the wealth around as much as I can. Um I don't want to be the guy that, oh, I only smoke my pipes. Well, how do I know that maybe somebody else makes something nicer? And without smoking it, you don't know the difference. Um, maybe the bit and the button's a little thicker, a little thinner, a little wider, a little narrower. Um, so I, I sort of wrap it all up a little bit. Um, some folks' bites I bought, yeah, they were just okay. And other people, it's like, whoa. <laughs> so then I start investigating and seeing how their engineering is and the likes of that. And I'm not going to say it's really changed the way I build pipes, but it has made, made my eyes open a little bit more to there's more than one way to make a pipe, I guess. Speaking of uh, pipe making, is there a shape of a pipe that you're just having all kinds of problems making the shape, or a shape that you that you're not yet happy with how you do it? Um, you know the bulldogs are always a challenge. Um, the more I make, the easier they become. Um, and when you start getting into diamond shape. And I got this customer, he lives in Flint, and he wants square shanks. <laughs> well, diamond shanks are pretty darn hard, but I'm telling you what, square shanks are a huge challenge for me. Um, I've made him, oh goodness, probably three of them with square shanks. I mean, he he always wants to challenge me. I'm, I'm not super great on tapered stems for whatever reason. I always... I don't get them thin enough at the bit to make them super comfortable, and he knows that. So he's always, hey, Russ, I want this, but I want tapered stem, square shank. It's like, oh, my goodness, does that just make things way more difficult for me? Because I guess anybody can make a square shank, but if it's, I don't know what the word is for it. If it's not square, it's, was a parallelogram or something. I don't know what it is. Not straight up and down, and they're just super hard to make. And now you throw that. I think the last one I made for him was a billiard, and he wanted a square shank on a half cent billiard. And, oh, oh my goodness, I just. Uh, it took me forever to make that pipe, but I tell you what, as soon as I showed it to him, he shelled me out the cash and. He says, how soon can I smoke it? Well, as soon as you want to. And he fills it up instantly. And that's that's very gratifying to me to know that you made a pipe that was really hard for you to do. And the customer was super happy with it and couldn't wait to fill it up with tobacco. That's just <laughs> super to me. When they get a new friend and they get to take it home and enjoy it. Oh, yeah. Um, I've got a lot of pictures from people that want me to make a custom-made pipe. I want one like this, but I want this, and I want this, and I want this. Um, I've got a customer. He lives, I think, in the Ann Arbor, Michigan area, down toward Detroit area. And he's seen a pipe that another maker made, but it was 80 grams. And he says, I want one somewhat like that but he says i want 150 grams it's like now you gotta <laughs> lose like not half of the pipe but a third of the pipe you gotta lose and it still sort of keeps the same shape and the same size it's like oh 
Yeah, you know what? It took me a long time to do it, but uh, he, uh, I got it done, and I took it to Chicago this year, and it weighed, what was it, 48.6 grams. And usually this fellow lets me show it on my table for the weekend, and I show it to him first thing Thursday. I got there around noon or some 1 o'clock. I don't know what time it was, something like that, early afternoon. And he gave me the money for it, and he took it instantly and filled it with tobacco, and it's like, wow. That's like hitting a home run for a baseball player to me, you know? It's just like, wow. He had, hadn't even seen the pipe. I'd seen a couple pictures in process, but he never seen the finished product and could not wait to smoke it, and it's like, wow. That's a pretty <laughs> proud moment for a guy like me anyways. Is there a part of the pipe-making process that you like the most? As far as what do you mean? Um, either shaping or finishing the stain or any of those steps along the way? Um, I guess I've never really been taught by anybody, to be honest with you. I just... Learn by listening, I suppose, and everybody uses different things, and you get used to your own equipment, and um, some guys can whip out shapes really quick on the French wheel, and I struggle with it, so I I tend to do a lot of mine by hand, and that's why I'm slow at it, don't make that many, but nothing really in particular that... I can think of that uh, it's just once you start making a pipe, uh, I, I, I guess you just have to do what you have to do to make it come out to what the customer wants or what you think you want to build for the customer. Um, yeah, we're out files working on pipes and, and stuff like that, but I've got several different belts and shaking wheels and different things and I'm not that savvy on all hardly any of them except for the file on hand sanding um, that's what I always resort to for some reason I, I don't know why just I, I'm not good at the other maybe it's because I haven't made enough pipes and I've made a lot of pipes over the years but I, I just I don't know the you can get them rough shaped with a wheel or whatever, but for me, I, I'm liking the crisp corners and stuff, so that's where I have to go back to the old-fashioned old standby mode of doing it by hand. Um, like I say, I, I'm doing this for a hobby. It's not out to put groceries in the table on the table, so... Um, yeah, I guess nothing really in particular strikes me as being easy, I suppose. Uh, before we wrap this up, where do your pipes start off at price-wise? Um, right now, I've sort of plateaued a little bit. Um, like my rusticated pipes are somewhere in the 360. Um, sandblasted are somewhere in the 375 to 390. And then then smooths go on up from there. Uh, obviously, when you add adornments, they add about 20, 25 bucks a chunk. Uh, if you want to uh, a diamond shank, it's like 25 bucks more. If you want a, a sliver of something different, I, I sort of, usually most things they add about 20 to 25 bucks per pipe. So, um, yeah, they look really cool, but they, they take a lot of time for the maker to do. So you have to add a little bit. And I, I think most folks are, very well informed on that so they're not afraid to pay for them so uh for the most part somewhere and uh to be honest with you somewhere in the 375 to 400 category 
um, is most of my pipes, uh, like I say, I'm not in it to make a million dollars. I enjoy doing it and enjoy seeing the people's faces when they get one that they like. And I'm really cool with that. I have all sorts of different materials that I can put on pipes. Pretty much um, whatever material I put on the pipe is a non-natural thing because I've always struggled with the natural stuff like horns and ivory and different things. It's like I always mess it up or they crack or whatever. So I, I sort of go to the non-natural thing, and I've got, I don't want to say endless amounts of that kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, I just purchased some fluoridite, so I've got some fluoridite I have to learn how to use. And uh, sort of looking forward to that but I have to learn how to make it work for my pipes. So um, that'll be cool. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. There's always something new to learn, and we will uh, wrap this up with the Fast Five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Sure. What is your favorite pipe? My favorite pipe? is uh, Peter Heeshan that Babe Zios sent to me in the mail. I uh, I borrowed it from him the very first Chicago show I went to and had it for I don't even know how long. And he called me and said, dude, you ever going to send that back? Like, oh, oh, no. Well, about 10 years later, he was sending down his herd, I suppose, if you want to say. And that darn thing showed up in the mail, and it's nothing super fancy, just a nice little volcano, and that's something that I'll never let go of. It's because of the pipe and the person that sent it to me. What's your favorite tobacco? My favorite tobacco? Um, uh, probably my favorite stalemate is Peter Stokeby's Luxury Trust. For whatever reason, I just love that stuff. I don't have much of it on hand because I keep smoking the stuff. But <laughs> I have lots of tins of other things, but that there, I always seem to smoke up really quick. What's your favorite drink? My favorite drink is pretty much beer. Um, I'm not a fancy drinker. Um, I can drink cheap beer. I can drink expensive beer. Um yeah, I'm just, apparently I like the taste of beer, so, uh, yeah, I don't need too much fancy stuff in my life. When it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Um, yeah, I don't read many books, hardly any. I don't got pictures, no, I don't hardly look at it anymore. <laughs> um, music... I'm not much of a music person. It's really weird. Half the time you can't even hear my radio in my vehicle. My wife always gets me, turn that thing off. It's like, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, movies. Usually when I'm watching a movie, it's after a long day, and I go in and start watching the movie, and <laughs> they pretty much put me to sleep on the couch. But that's after working all day long and going in and kicking back and getting some food in my belly and... Maybe a couple of beers, and boom, instantly. That couch just, like, sucks me into a nap, like, instantly. That's weird. <laughs> that sounds good to me. Uh, the final question is, do you have a particularly favorite pipe-smoking-related memory that we haven't talked about? Um, you know, the smoking contest, Brian. Um, I, I don't get the chance to smoke in them in Chicago no more. Because they have my own table, and it's hard to get somebody to cover your table to go out there and deal with that for, oh, excuse me, for an hour and a half or whatever. But um, I've smoked in a lot of contests, and I actually smoked in, I think, two of the Chicago contests before I started buying tables. And I think the first year I smoked in that contest, I got fourth place. And the wow. second year, I think I got eighth place. Um I do pretty well at contests. I've won 
Oh, several small contests. I went to Kansas City about four years ago, maybe five, 11 or 12, I think it was, and I won that contest. Granted, there was only a dozen people or something into it. I won the one at the very last show Fort Wayne had. I won that smoking contest. Um, our local IAPSC club up here in the state of Michigan, um, they have a big smoking contest. Uh, it's usually uh, something like the third weekend in October. And I go down to that. And usually uh, I've been smoking in that since, I think, 97. When I started smoking a pipe was my first year. Maybe 98. I don't know which year it was. But it was pretty close to that. And I, to be honest with you, I don't know if I haven't finished in the top 10 out of, oh, probably the biggest one was 70 or 80 people, and we're getting down to about 50 now, but 90% of the time I smoke in that contest, I I usually place in the top 10. I'm not bragging to toot my own horn, it's just uh, for whatever reason, um, that contest, you can smoke your own pipe, and I have a, a pipe that seems to work really good for me. And um, like I say, I've, I'm thinking I got fourth place out of 58 last year or something like that. And that's sort of my average. I've got, I think third is my highest. Um, but we're talking. I think last year I was over an hour at fourth place, so I I, I, I do pretty well at them. <laughs> those are uh, going to jinx me. Those are Hall of Fame credentials. So if we if we see Russ sit down at a pipe smoking contest with us, just either you know just do exactly what he's doing and try to keep up. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think the biggest problem people have is they talk too much. Don't pay attention to the pipe. And I see that a lot, but maybe it's just I have really good luck at them. I don't know, but I've heard pretty well over the years in them smoking contests. So I'm going to keep doing them. I enjoy it. So it is what it is. And the, the higher your place, the nicer prize you get. So, yeah, you want to beat that next guy up a little bit. So it's fun. I enjoy it. To see pictures of Russ's pipes, go to Pipes by Russ Cook, R-U-S-S-C-O-O-K dot com. It's Pipes by Russ Cook dot com. Or, uh, Russ, are you on uh, Insta Snatch and all those other things? Oh, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Uh, got lots of followers on both. Um, so, yeah, it's not that super hard to get a hold of me. It may, it may not be in minutes I get a hold of you, but yeah, it's usually within the day or so that I get back a hold of most people for the most part, anyways. Uh, so yeah, it's I'm not a hard guy to get a hold of. We've been a lot of phone like, getting back and forth for this, but yeah, we've both been busy, so yeah. Check out his pipes. Reach out to him for a commission. Russ, thank you very much for uh, coming on and doing this. All right, Brian. Appreciate it. And we'll see you in Columbus, and uh, we'll be back in just a minute. Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion. It's their birthright, their legacy. And just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever-changing. Milan, 1876. Achilles Savinelli set out to change the way the world viewed smoking pipes, opening one of the world's first specialist tobacco shops. From one small storefront to a factory that delivered handmade pipes all over the world, the legacy he forged became one filled with success and prestige. Achilles' dream is carried on today by his family, who continues the Savinelli legacy. Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today. This is Internet Radio. We are back in, uh, boy, it's a warm night here. Um, 
anyway, uh, when Russ mentioned, yeah, it's fun. It's it's better to buy something from somebody that you like or somebody that's a nice guy. Well, Russ is one of those really nice guys. So do check out his pipes. Uh, find him at a pipe show. All right, for music. So uh, George sent me an email, and it was about a uh, a saxophonist named Prez, or better known as Lester Young. And you know what? I was <laughs> I was really not familiar with him, although I found out later I have heard a whole bunch of his stuff. Uh, Lester Young was uh, born in uh, Mississippi, and. Uh, died uh, born in 1909 <clears throat> sorry born in 1909 and uh was uh, nicknamed prez he died when he was 50 uh he i mean just one of those gifted talented self-taught you know had a you know, had some teachers on the way but just to give you a list of the people that lester young played saxophone for Includes the uh, the Count Basie Orchestra, uh, the Oscar Peterson Trio, which we're about to hear, uh, the yes the, the Lester Young Buddy Rich Trio. I mean, just a a parade of big names that he played with, uh, including this song with Ox, with Oscar Peterson. So Lester Young was uh, seen smoking a pipe when he was younger, and we know Oscar Peterson smoked a pipe. So here is, uh, let me get the name of the song for you, sorry. Uh, There Will Never Be Another You, it's the Oscar Peterson Trio featuring uh, Lester Young on the saxophone. Thank you. 
I can say is, wow. Uh, check out Lester Young on uh, Spotify. What's this? A letter for me. All right, in the mailbag, going to last week's show. Uh, one comment, Casey Ghost writes, Brian, another good show. The travelogue was quite enjoyable. I'm amazed at the number of times members take trips without checking on the availability of smoking spots. Uh, the interview with Joe Langford was quite good. I was surprised to hear he rarely tweaks his blends after the first after he uh, first blends them. Yeah, I was too. Uh, he's pretty lucky. All right, uh, I realize it's the middle of June, but I want you to get started on planning for the uh, pipe show season coming up in the late summer, early fall, and remind you of some dates. Uh, as Russ and I talked about, the uh, Columbus Pipe Show, the NASPC show, August 25th and 26th in uh, Columbus, Ohio, or Dublin, Ohio. Uh, Kansas City has moved their dates, and they are September 22nd, 23rd, and 24th at the Argosy Casino and Hotel. The Argosy has those uh, great showers that I love. And then a new one coming up is the Texas Pipe Show, October 7th, hosted by uh, the Houston and Austin Pipe Clubs. So uh, this one's in Fort Worth at uh, Pop's Safari Room. Uh, guessing they had to meet on neutral ground. The two pipe clubs had to meet halfway in between. Um, anyway, there'll be a smoking tent and uh, barbecue Texas style, which means a lot of ketchup. Sorry, guys. Uh, and it's uh, the first time they're doing it, and they plan on doing it annually. So that's in Fort Worth, Texas. Easy to travel to because uh, Dallas has a major hub air airport there. And then uh, the last one of the year is uh, November 4th, 5th at the, at the Palace Station Casino Hotel in Las Vegas. That's the West Coast Pipe Show, so start making plans for pipe shows. Uh, don't forget, want to be uh, the uh, want to be part of the summer series again. Just send me an email with your idea for pipe parts and uh, who you are. We'll get three of you on the show over the summer, and it'll be the the uh, the guests as uh, the listeners as guests guest appearance summer series sort of something like that thing. All right, just a minute, rant time. Overreach or overpromise? How many of you have seen the commercial recently for some home? Uh, I think it might be Home Advisor or somebody like that, where the uh, contractor comes in and says, "No, I'm going to take your money. I'm going to go away for 30 days, and then I'm going to come back and tell you it'll be five more days, and then so on and so on, and then I'm going to disappear and leave you stranded." Well, <clears throat> that wouldn't be bad compared to some of the stuff I've had to deal with in the past couple of years, dealing with painters and contractors and stuff like that. Why is it that the entire building trade or home remodeling groups or whatever it is, they always say, when they say it's going to be a month, figure it's going to be two and a half. When they say they're going to get it done the right the first time, figure they're going to have to come back at least one more time. When they say it's a simple job, run like hell. It's not. Run away. Very rarely have we had a painter or somebody come in and say, yep, I can be in tomorrow and out in two days or whatever it is. Uh, very rarely does that happen. Every time you got to go back over stuff with them and tell them what they missed and then it's a longer thing. And if they got it right in the first time with the, with the length of time, you're lucky because every time they always say, oh, I have three days to do this job and it turns into five because something came up. Why don't they just be honest with you and say, look, in order to get the job done and to calculate for everything that's going to happen in between, I need a week. And then I might be able to get done in five days. Why don't they just be honest with the amount of time that they need to use? And, you know, for you young folks over overall, don't overreach or don't overpromise anything anywhere ever. Be realistic in the amount of time it takes you to do something. Be, be realistic in what you can get done. Everybody that you work for or that you sell to will be much happier. All right, there you go. Uh, next week we'll be back on Tuesday night 
back on Tuesday night again and uh, a one uh, a one a one day bump back to Thursday for you. So uh, just five short days until the next episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. Remember, leave us ratings or reviews on iTunes. Feedback is appreciated. Uh, Stitcher has them there too, I believe. And uh, comments, questions, post them on the Pipes Magazine radio show page on PipesMagazine.com or email me directly. I want to thank Russ for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in. And until next time. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy trails to First, I get my name on the phone book, and now I'm on your ass. You know, I'll bet more people see that than the phone book.